The following podcast contains mature language and discussions that are not suitable for younger audiences. The opinions voiced in this podcast are our own. We are not experts on the topic we present, but have conducted our own research. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to the Strange and Undecided Podcast. I'm your host, Jarrett, joined by my co-host. I'm Pat. Welcome. Welcome. So we've got a tale for you today from the northern parts of Canada about an elusive cryptid called the Wendigo. All right. Now let's explain to the people, because I didn't know before this, what the hell is a cryptid? I thought I thought you were talking about cryptocurrency shit, to be honest. <laughs> no. So cryptids, at least to my limited understanding, are things like Sasquatch, like Skinwalkers, uh, the Rake, for example, and then... I don't even know what Wendigo. a Rake is, so that's for another episode. For sure. I believe those originate in the States, but we might get to that in later episodes. Okay. But they're all just kind of these elusive um, entities, so to speak, which are creatures, as far as my understanding goes. But uh, Gotcha. If I need to be corrected, please do so in the comments. Thank you. So, have you ever heard of the Wendigo before? Mm, yeah, kind of like, a, isn't it almost like a Native uh, American, Indian type uh, mythological creature? Yeah, it actually is. So hey. it does stem from that. Area. Hey, I'm not just a pretty face, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so the Wendigo is a mystical being that originates from the Algonquin-speaking First Nations tribe of North America, such as the Cree or Ojibwe people, to name a couple. These tribes consider the Wendigo dangerous as they are powerful with a thirst for blood. Ooh. The Wendigo has the power to infect the minds of people and turn them into bloodthirsty monsters with the insatiable desire to kill and eat other humans. Dang. Yeah, so we're in for a doozy today. Okay. Based on the Algonquian traditions, they prey on the weak and the socially isolated. Most interpretations of the Wendigo believe a human is transformed into this depraved beast when their spirit is corrupted by greed or whittled down by extreme conditions such as hunger and the cold. Other interpretations believe that the Wendigo is an evil spirit and possesses humans through dreams during times of weakness, preying on the vulnerable. So the physical appearance of a Wendigo can vary based on the different pronunciations of its name. So... When I was researching, I found a lot of different ways to pronounce it. It's Wendigo, Wendigo, Wentico. There's so many different variations. Some legends speak of a tall, thin creature with long arms and legs and possesses a human skull. The ash-colored skin stretched thin across its bones that protruded from underneath. The mouth of the Wendigo is comprised of tattered, bloody lips covering razor-sharp fangs. Other variations include an animal-like head with antlers, such as a deer, uh, protruding from its head, and the eyes of the Wendigo are sunken in and burn like coals in a fire. The smell of the Wendigo is that of rotting flesh and death. Jesus, this just sounds like a nursing home. You know, everything you described was like a decrepit old person. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really hope that old people don't have tattered, bloody lips, long arms and legs. And well, I mean, the ash colored skin is pretty. <laughs> hey, they could have long arms and legs. Old people get tall. Uh, 
It did tend to get shorter, but yeah, I'd be scared to see either one of these things in a back alley in the middle of the night. I imagine sponge bathing one of them. Oh, no, thank you. In terms of the powers that these beings possess, it varies as well. Some legends say that they're empowered with superhuman strength, stamina, eyesight, hearing, and smell, which allows them to hunt its prey with ease. Woodlands and lakes are typically where the Wendigo reside, and they can move quickly across deep snow and ice. To kill a Wendigo, there are a different number of beliefs that range from the use of conventional weapons, such as a gun, dagger, silver, steel, or an axe, while other beliefs involve cutting the heart out and melting it over fire. First Nations uh, spiritual leader, also known as a shaman, may be the only one that could vanquish a Wendigo with a ceremony or spell. So even though the descriptions of the Wendigo can vary based on culture, it is strongly associated with the North, winter, and starvation. So the existence of the Wendigo legend predates the arrival of Europeans by centuries. When the Europeans did arrive, it was found through written accounts of Jesuit missionaries that their belief in evil supernatural spirits was just as strong as the First Nations people. Reports of the Wendigo extended from the 17th century all the way to the 20th century. In 1661, according to the Jesuit relations, so these are chronicles of Jesuit missions in what they called at the time New France. They reported what was called Wendigo psychosis. Mm. So I'm going to read a, a quote from the Jesuit relations uh, chronicle here. What caused us greater concern was the news that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming, had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given to us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat. Whoa. So they were cannibals. Yes. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is, is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder— they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. That's a description. Okay. Science wasn't very very uh, prevalent back in those times, right? So, no. I mean, this, this could be anything so far, right? Yes. Maybe just some mystery ailment. So in the early 20th century, the term Wendigo psychosis gained traction in the field of psychology and medicine and described a ethno-racialized culture-bound syndrome among First Nations people. The symptoms included paranoia, anxiety, hallucinations, and cannibalistic urges. This syndrome was also retroactively diagnosed to cases of cannibalism throughout North America. The Algonquian tribes originated from Canada, 
and they represent indigenous communities practicing a hunter-gatherer lifestyle heavily dependent on the land for sustenance. However, this dynamic becomes particularly challenging amid the prolonged, severe, and unforgiving winters, which are characterized by limited resources. These conditions create a notable scarcity, increasing the community's vulnerability to experiencing episodes of famine. Cannibalism and indirectly Wendigo psychosis can become a maladaptive and individualistic survival strategy during times of extreme scarcity. So that last paragraph that I just said was from a research article that I found. And essentially, they were saying that the Wendigo psychosis was overall just caused by starvation. So the symptoms of being starved, becoming depraved and Again, back then, they didn't have nice heaters in their houses. They didn't have access to food right next door. They had to actually hunt and prepare for the winter, else they were going to die. Yeah, I mean, kind of makes sense, those symptoms. Like, we get hangry. We do crazy crazy things, right? Yeah, this is like real... Like, real hungry. Yeah. Wendigo psychosis. You're real hungry when you get Wendigo psychosis. Pretty much. So it was believed by the First Nation people that a person possessed by the Wendigo posed a threat to the community and had to be dealt with. Many times the method would be to kill the affected individual by request of said person or by choice of the community. This was problematic for the French colonists who tried to impose their own beliefs on the First Nations people. Such was the case of Jack Fiddler, a shaman and leader of the Sucker people, and his brother Joseph. Their tribe resided in northwestern Ontario in the forest near Sandy Lake, unaffected at that point by colonist influence. In 1906, word spread to the Royal Northwest Mounted Police, which later turned into the RCMP, um, that, quote, a band of pagan Indians are in the habit of killing one another whenever one gets delirious through fever or other cases. An investigation was launched the next year where the Mounties discovered through Norman Ray, a tribe member, that Jack and Joseph killed a Wendigo the previous year. The Mounties continued on to Caribou Lake, and they found and arrested the two men on June 15, 1907, for the murder of Joseph's daughter-in-law. They were brought to the Norway House in Manitoba, uh, where in August the event made newspaper headlines. People who were more familiar with the situation showed mercy and recommended that the prosecution be dropped. Gilbert Edward Sanders, a Mountie superintendent, stated, It appears that the evidence will not warrant a conviction. Sergeant David Bennett Smith of the Norway House Detachment reported, Jack Fiddler is very old, he falls down, and his heart and pulse are very weak on such occasions. Methodist missionary Joseph Albert George Lousley, apologize if I said that wrong, said he has not the slightest sign of enmity or hatred towards men nor God, no rebellion or unbelief. He is a quiet, dignified man who has lived his life with a clear conscience. Fifteen weeks after being arrested, Jack was able to get away from a guard where he went into the bush and hanged himself. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Guilty? Nothing says guilty like killing yourself before your trial. Well, I believe the conditions in which they were in, and he was old too, and just, he knew what was going to happen, so. True. Take it like a champ, do it yourself. Yeah. Unfortunately. 
sadly enough. But the case for Joseph, though, proceeded to court on October 7th, where he sat before a six-man jury. According to Norman Ray, the man who the Mounties initially talked to, the victim was brought to Jack and Joseph very sick. It was said that she would not keep quiet, and some other women had to hold her down to keep her under control. The next day, Norman Ray saw Jack and Joseph placing a string around her neck and strangling her. According to them, if she had not been killed, she would have become a Wendigo. Commissioner Aylesworth Bowen Perry, who was the stipendary magistrate at the time, stated, What the law forbids, no pagan belief can justify. The jury reluctantly gave a guilty verdict, but recommended mercy. Perry sentenced Joseph to hang. Joseph was incarcerated at Stony Mountain Penitentiary, where he was hospitalized most of the time waiting his execution. Appeals for his release, though, were made and finally were successful on September 4th, 1909. However, they were three days too late as he passed away from tuberculosis. A different case originates from Fort Kent, Alberta, in which Thomas Burton, a young doctor, or medical student. I've seen a couple different articles that said he was a doctor and another one said he was a medical student. Traveled from England to escape the horrible memories he had sustained from World War I. He and his wife arrived at Fort Kent in 1921 when it was just but a small colony. Yeah, welcome to Fort Kent. Nothing here. Uh, make some happy memories. Yeah, 150 people. But he came to aid an outbreak of smallpox in the community which had allegedly been spread by rats. He began treatment right away and was successful for the first bit. Due to his success, he was embraced by the community and regarded as a miracle worker. However, this successful treatment would end abruptly as the disease suddenly spread at an alarming rate. Burton and his wife were unable to keep up and people began to die. Burton's wife contracted the disease soon after and passed away. Burton then locked himself inside his house with his wife's body. Burton was stricken with grief and spiraled into madness. It was said he was possessed by the Wendigo. Following that, it was said that he ate his wife's flesh. That escalated quickly. (laughs) When he was done with her, he craved more and turned his attention to the remaining people of Fort Kent. For the next three days, he went on a killing spree, going door to door and partially eating people, killing them. He wanted them fresh, just partially eating. These murders are regarded as some of the grisliest murders in Canadian history. On the third and final day of his murderous rampage, he disappeared into the woods surrounding Fort Kent and was never seen again. Of the 150 people who resided in Fort Kent, only 11 survived, according to the legend. Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> this guy was hungry with that Wendigo psychosis. Yep. And this was a doctor. Yep. He's there to help everybody. You know, he's probably knocking on their door like, ah, excuse me, here to check on your TB. That's what he's there for, right? Yes, he was there to check on the TB and then ended up murdering them instead. Yeah. Right? Like he's a trusted member of the community. Yes. People open the door for him. Yeah. He probably used that to his advantage. Yeah. So. Psych? But yeah. Hungry. Give me, give me your arm. In terms of the actual numbers, um, I don't think he killed hundred and what thirty nine people. I think a lot of them actually did die from tuberculosis, but regardless, he still killed a lot of people. He saved a lot of people too, and then proceeded to kill them afterwards. 
So it was a net neutral uh, situation. Pretty much. This was not the first, quote, famous case of a Wendigo possession in Western Canada, though. A man by the name of Swift Runner returned from his winter camp to his community just north of Fort Edmonton. His in-laws were suspicious as he came back alone instead of with his family. He claimed that they had all perished and he was the only one to survive the winter. Suspicious, the family decided to inform the Mounties of the situation. An investigation began and Swift Runner was asked to take the Mounties to the area where his family had perished. There was a small grave on the outskirts of his camp where Swift Runner explained that this was one of his sons. That, however, did not explain the grisly sight of bones scattered around his camp. When presented with a skull by one of the Mounties, Swift Runner willingly told them that it was his wife. He then revealed what actually happened to the rest of his family. Buckle up. Swift Runner was well-liked by everyone in his community and was known for being mild and well-mannered. However, when settlers came, they killed off the buffalo in the area in hopes to drive the people from their land. They also introduced whiskey, which took a negative toll on Swift Runner, where he became aggressive and violent. He claimed that he was being haunted in his dreams by a Wendigo. It took hold of his mind and forced him to consume the people around him. He killed and ate his wife. He then forced one of his older sons to butcher one of his younger sons. He also hanged his infant son while tugging on his dangling feet. He shot some of his family, bludgeoned others with an axe, and even strangled one girl with a cord. In some accounts, Swift Runner said he fed one boy human flesh before he too was killed. He then killed the rest of his family, including his brother and mother-in-law, indicating that she was a bit tough. The disgusted Mounties brought him back to Fort Saskatchewan for sentencing, where on August 8, 1879, the jury only deliberated and made a decision in 20 minutes. The magistrate sentenced him to be hanged. Before this, Swift Runner expressed extreme remorse. He told Father Hippolyte Leduc, apologize if I said that wrong, I am the least of men and do not merit even being called a man. At the gallows, he acknowledged his guilt, thanked his jailers for being kind, and got annoyed with his guard for making him wait in the cold so long. On December 20th, 1879, Swift Runner was no more. Well. That's a lot of family members that just had to wait around while the other members were being pretty much killed in front of them, right? Yeah, he had six children from what I researched. The one in the grave that was off to the side was his oldest son, who actually did die of starvation and didn't last the cold. And it was after this that he went on his killing spree, killing the other five children, his wife. And I see reports saying that he killed six people and some say eight. So it's a little bit back and forth, but regardless, he still killed and ate his family, which is unfathomable. And the crazy thing is they must have known their fate too. Yeah, like the one kid that he made kill the other, like his brother, and then eat him. Like that's just, I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Hmm. It's very disturbing. Today, we don't hear many stories like this. However, there is an occasional article or video prodding at the potential of a Wendigo. In 2018, a woman by the name of Audrey Tangue Franchette 
was filming a moose in Gaspésie, Quebec, and saw a faceless six-foot eerie creature. You can watch the video on her YouTube page where there has received 1.3 million views. She said, I was filming a moose on the roadside in Gaspésie, Quebec, Canada, as she wrote this on her YouTube. Looking at the video, I saw this strange shape at the back left. Can someone tell me what it is? The video is titled Mysterious Creature in the Woods. So when watching the video, you can actually see the moose on the side, and then all of a sudden, this like white, gangly-looking, thin creature kind of comes crawling out to the edge of the woods and is hiding behind a tree. And you can see it kind of bobbing back and forth. It's, it's really weird. Let's have a watch. Could be a Wendigo, but it could also be a spider dangling outside of the car window on a thread of silk. I don't know. I don't know. You, it's up to you guys. Yeah, a lot of the comments on the YouTube video uh, claim not that it wasn't a Wendigo, that it was actually the rake, which I don't know much about, but we can get into in a later podcast. But by description, it was a very tall, pale-skinned a gangly kind of creature. Yeah, that's that's sounds about right, what we saw. Another strange case occurred in 2018 when a family out hunting recorded a strange howl or shriek in the distance. Gino Mikas, along with his wife and grandson, were out hunting grouse in northwestern Ontario when they heard eerie noises in the distance. When it let out the first scream, I thought it was a moose, but my mind changed when it screamed again and again, Mikas said. Mikas is an avid hunter and longtime resident of the area. He knows the sounds and sightings in the area, and this was unlike anything he had heard before. I've heard many different animals in the wild, but nothing like this. I grew up hunting with my grandfather for the first 12 years of my life. Mikas then stated, we could hear it moving. It sounded kind of heavy. But my wife, she got scared, picked up our grandson, and started walking fast toward our vehicle. He started recording soon after this and posted the sounds on YouTube, where it's received 4.2 million views now. All right, we're going to take a listen here and uh, get our commentary. Okay, folks, uh, that's going to give me nightmares tonight. Yeah, so you can view it on, on YouTube. There's actually an article online that you can go to if you just type in Sasquatch or Wendigo, mysterious howls in the Canadian wilderness spark confusion. So according to Mikas, they were about 50 kilometers away from any kind of civilized area. So they were, they were out in the bush. Ontario's Ministry of Resources and Forestry had biologists investigate the sounds. The report said that they are not certain if the sounds came from an unidentified species, but admitted that they were unsure of where the source is. Quote, our biologists say it could be a larger mammal, for example, a wolf, but because it's a considerable distance from the recorder, there's no way to know for sure, end quote. Yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like a wolf, but like up the scary, creepy factor times like 10. Yeah, it's, it was very creepy, the noise that it made. It's like something in almost like a deep agony. Nightmare fuel. Yeah. So whether it's screeches in the woods, sightings of a gangly tall creature, or a cannibalistic story from long ago, 
The legend of the Wendigo has survived the years and made it into modern day storytelling. Maybe this is the truth, or maybe this is a story just to scare people. We will let you decide. Well, Jarrett, what do you what do you think? I mean, the legends stem from truth, at least in my opinion, anyways. Whether it's actually a spirit possessing them or not, I believe back then they weren't sure of like mental illness for the most part. I believe that when people became starved, as we see nowadays, they just experienced delusions. All the symptoms that we talked about of this Wendigo psychosis, that's just symptoms of being extremely starved and kind of being put into like a survivalistic mode. You also mentioned earlier on that uh, there was ways to kill a Wendigo. So I wonder if anybody's actually claimed to have killed one. Yeah, that was the Jack Fiddler uh, episode or the uh, case that I was talking about. We're claiming that since he was a shaman, he had the power in the community to kill a Wendigo, and he was the only one that had the power to do so. So where's all these Wendigo uh, bodies at? I guess they just disappear. From some of the research that I did, I found that once the spirit of the Wendigo or the Wendigo has been vanquished, its body simply disappears, or they completely burn it, and it's just it's ash and gone for the most part. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Hey, mythical creatures don't need to follow the uh, Newtonian laws of physics, yeah. do they? Nope, they do not. And it's also part of their legend as well. And le legends sometimes get um, enhanced, let's just say, as time goes on. But regardless, I still think this was a real issue back then where people were experiencing this and eating people as a result. So whether or not this Wendigo was real and this was still fact and it still happened which is actually almost scarier than the actual yeah. legend in so many communities too it wasn't just one one person that was afflicted yeah it was pretty much anywhere that experienced really harsh cold winters for the most part in north america so northern the northern part of the states and canada so what did you think of the wendigo yeah, I definitely never heard of uh, these cannibalistic cases, right? Yeah, they're pretty wild. I hadn't heard of anything before this. I just knew my first exposure to the Wendigo was Until Dawn. So seeing that, I didn't really know much about it. And through the game, they have a little bit of historically accurate lore. But I did my own research after this for the podcast here, and it was just kind of mind-blown for some of the cases. This case kind of caught me off guard from my preconceived perceptions of what I thought a Wendigo was. So originally, what did you think it was? You said in the beginning that it was from Native American legend and lore. Yeah, well, it, it kind of sounded like a, a Sasquatch-type creature, right, that would maybe like physically harm people, but from what it sounds like is that it's more of a uh, maybe like a spiritual type creature like it's taking hold of your spirit right like it's not physically attacking you like it's just like overcoming you yeah exactly and that's actually what i read a little bit about that like i talked about in the beginning of the podcast about how some depictions of it were physical that it was an actual entity that would eat people and then the other side which was it was more of a spiritual almost demon-like entity that would 
And from some of the research that I found, they said it bit them in their dreams and that's how it like infected them. Oh, okay. So it took hold of them in their dreams and states of weakness. Mm -hmm. And I find that scarier to be yeah. honest. Yeah, that is scarier. Yeah. So I was, I was pretty shocked by the actual documented cases. So like Swift Runner, I, the ones that I talked about today were probably the most famous cases. There's many, many more that you can actually look up through the years, but these ones were probably the most, um, well-documented and also unfortunately graphic. Yeah. Look at all the cases that have probably occurred where maybe somebody's, uh, killed somebody said it was a Wendigo and people just outright don't believe it. Right. And they yeah. never document it. Well, do you remember uh, a little while ago, the Greyhound bus killer? Yes. Vincent Lee. Was so that his, some... his, uh, MO? It wasn't his MO, but I've seen some people speculate that the Wendigo had possessed him. We can leave that for another podcast, the details of that uh, case. Yeah, that, that, that is an ominous Canadian case, isn't it? It is. So we might cover that one in the future and how ridiculous the story is. Until next time, thank you. And good night. <laughs>